Welcome to the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Jason Hammond. I'm here with Todd Norwood. Hey, welcome back, everyone. So today we're talking about core. Uh, this is the hot topic of cycling, and I never Cy- did... Cycling is like the hot topic of the world. Okay, like, that's Everybody true. talk about core? Well, this is a cycling podcast, Todd. Fair, fair enough. So I... Yeah, a few years ago, right, Tom Danielson and that PT, I get Allison... Uh, Oh man, I don't remember her last name. They came out with a, a core book, a cycling core book with Velo Press, and uh, basically the entire industry was, oh my gosh, core. And you know, I read the book. Uh, it's good. It has good exercises. Um, but you know, people were riding really well before then. Did they have core strength before that book came out? Uh, you know, did they just ignore core strength? Is it really that important? What's going on, Todd? Help. So is it that important? Yes, it's important. Do you need to do a plank for two hours? No, probably not. Um, did people have core strength before Tom Danielson wrote a book? You know, absolutely, we sure. did. It's okay. not like uh, it's not like abdominal muscles are new. Heck, I think we've been chasing abdominal muscles for a long time, right? Just as a, a general public, and you know, succeeding at various levels with that. And to be fair, I always tell my patients, "Well, look, your your core." is not the six pack muscles that you want to show off at the beach. Like, yes, you can include them, you know, regionally in that, but those aren't really the muscles that are going to do the things that we talk about when we talk about core and providing stability. Those are really more prime mover muscles, um, not stabilizing muscles in the sense, at least the way I think about, okay, what's the function of the core? Um, it's more about stability than it is about creating motion. Uh, the motion should come from the other muscles. Okay. So, I mean, I don't know if you're prepared to talk about, you know, have you memorized the core muscles enough to discuss them? Um, one, I mean, I, c- I can rattle off a lot of muscles around the trunk, but. Okay. So one way to think about the core that I rationalized is um, if, if you think about our body sort of floating in space without a fixed point, like maybe you're like in air in, in a harness and, um, you know, obviously when you're pushing off things uh you get motion that's sort of the whole idea that's like how physics works and um, (laughs) physics right yeah so uh you know if you're in this harness and you know you try and kick or push off something but there's nothing there because you're floating in air like you're not going to move anywhere and so with cycling or any other sport we're pushing off something and we're expecting the reactionary force to propel us away from that thing we're pushing off of and you know the the rear wheel is the thing that's pushing off the earth and pushing us in the direction we want to go so uh, the, the whole idea is the power is generated somewhere and we need to push off in another direction so uh, the a really easy to visualize example is standing up out of the saddle on the bike and you're only touching the bike in four places your two hands your two feet you're producing energy in your legs and what are you pushing off of um you're actually using your hands in order to engage your legs and you need stiffness throughout the whole body in mm-hmm. order to, you know, you're, you're, you're basically pulling on the handlebars in order to get something to push against for your quads to engage. And, um, if you start connecting each part of the system, you know, how to the feet, then connect to the hands, you know, you have to have a stiff, if you have a stiffer trunk, you have better power transfer. Yep. So that's, you know, an, an initial argument for why core is good. But then, you know, where the hands connect into the bars and then down into the ground and eventually propelling yourself forward. Uh, But that's like a really obvious example of 
Um, yeah, you only get to touch the bike in a few spaces and you want to be stiff in between them because any motion that's not linear directly, um, you know, into the motion of the pedals is going to be wasted energy. Yeah. All right. It's going, it's going to something that's not moving you forward. And we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but just the idea of, okay, well, that's, that's a good example. Uh, I guess the system is a little bit more free, but I don't stand up all the time on my bike. Well, of course not. You, you spend most time in the saddle. So well, what happens in the saddle? And what I was saying is, well, you know, when you're pushing down into the pedal, the pedal's pushing back into your leg and effectively wants to push your hips up off the saddle, right? So if you imagine you're pushing down on your right leg, that pedal's pushing back up through your leg and effectively would want to rotate your right hip up off the saddle and tip you to the left. Yep. So you're pushing off the center line. So it wants to, you, it creates you. a torque yep. um, about your pelvis and it rotates you to the left. And right. one, one way to think about this is if you ever noticed on recovery rides that your butt hurts a lot, it's actually because you're pushing down less and it's pushing you it's up, less. up less. So you're actually putting more of your weight into your sit bones. And if you only ride it at higher intensities, you really start to float and um, your butt you know, just has less pressure. Yep, absolutely. So if so as you're pushing down on that right side, you have this torque that wants to rotate your pelvis to the left, something has to counteract that. Well, it doesn't have to counteract that, but if you want the force produced by your right leg to optimally drive Wouldn't the pedal... Wouldn't you just fly off the bike? I mean, if, not, if, if no force was resistant. If there's zero force, sure. Yeah. Uh, but that, that aside, uh, something has to counteract that, and that's going to be your core that's going to stabilize for that stiffness and prevent your pelvis from rotating. And then, you know, same thing on the left side and so on and so forth. So I mean, that's, that's what, how I think about it is the other, one of the other arguments for core is, well, if I'm pushing down, what's, what's stopping me from pushing my butt back up off the seat? Yeah. So your <clears throat> pelvis is trying to say you're pushing down with the right foot. Your pelvis is trying to rotate to the left, um, but you're trying to lift the left leg up mm -hmm. while the pressure is pushing down. And so you need something to keep everything uh, sort of situated so you can get that slight pull up and the, the good push down. Um, and so that engagement, the stability comes from the core. And um, another way to think about the use of the core is uh, you mentioned planks. And when we cycle, we actually do uh, an assisted plank or um, it's a very similar position. Sure, right. So you think about plank, you're more or less parallel with the ground, right? On your bike, again, depending on how aggressive your position is, you, you know, if you're on the beach cruise, you, your spine is uh, perpendicular to the ground, more or less. But if you're on an aggressive race bike, then you're approaching uh, this parallel to the ground. So now you have other other forces to counteract, right? Your gravity is trying to push your trunk forward at that point, right? And like push your nose down onto your stem. And so you have to counteract that, uh, that torque, and that's also going to be some of your core muscles that are stabilizing you right there. So now you have you know, at least two forces to counteract. One is the force being produced by your legs that wants to rotate your pelvis, and the other is, uh, in a different plane, the force of gravity that wants to you know, pull your trunk and pelvis forward. Of course, the assisted part is you get to push back with your hands and your arms uh, to keep the trunk upright a bit. And you're not... Um directly perpendicular with your spine is not directly perpendicular parallel to the plane of the ground yes well you're not per gravity is not perpendicular to your spine right yeah so um yeah so, the, the, so force the relative vector. force is less yeah. so you know being at an angle and if you do have uh lower back problems 
you know, one reason to come up more is because it puts less pressure on your spine because the, the vectors align better. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And but, then less demand on your core. Right? If your core is weak, that can mean potentially you're putting more load on the spine. Uh, and then by coming up, you, you decrease the demand on the core. Yep. And so one thing that some riders, this happens to some riders if they take it too aggressive of a position or they can't engage their core well enough. Um, you know, some riders, I remember talking to this one guy who had a pretty bad lower back pain and he said his PT tried to get him to do planks and he said 15 seconds in, he was shaking. And, uh, that was the indication to his PT that, yeah, like your core is just not, um, you know, doing what we want it to do. And, um, sometimes if your core doesn't engage, you just hyperextend your back and mm-hmm. you, you let the bones sort of lay on each other and passively resist that gravitational force by just compressing the spine. And, uh, you, sometimes you'll see riders with like a bowed lower back. Yeah. And your, your spine is actually very stable in that position, right? So you've actually gone and you've you said compressed the joints and it's, it's stable both in, um, flexion extension because it's approaching its end of range and extent it can't go very much further it's also very stable in rotation and lateral flexion so it doesn't really want to rotate a whole lot from that position so now you've done what the core wanted to do stabilizing the rotations by mechanically locking the joints toward their end of range where they don't have a lot of available movement yeah and this is called lumbar lordosis Mm -hmm. right and um so I noticed at the gym, a lot of weightlifters have this, um, like their lower back is really squeezed. It's I remember very extended. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember reading an article about CrossFit, uh, athletes and they all have six packs, but they also all have like beer bellies at the same time. It's like, that looks like a beer belly, but somehow there's like a six pack painted on it. And, um, it's, it's because they are actually quite lean, but it's because their posture really pushes out the front because the, the spine is basically, um, always compressing on itself like that. And, um, the issue with this, Todd, you can be the expert on this is, um, you are putting your spine at the end of its range of motion. And so you can't use all of your core muscles properly. And actually you you lift up your pelvis and you, you have an anterior pelvic tilt and your glutes are longer than they should be. So they also don't engage correctly. Right. Yeah. You have two, um, two muscles, muscle groups that are not at their ideal length tension relationship, right? You've taken your, your lumbar spine, you put an extension, which means now your, your core, your abdominal muscles are lengthened. And then also now your glutes are lengthened because of the anterior pelvic tilt. So it's actually been, it's called lower cross syndrome um, by Yonda, which is this idea that those groups are lengthened and the opposing groups of hip flexors um, and back extensors are, are relatively tightened. Yeah. And so because the hip flexors attach to the lower spine and Mm -hmm. the glutes attach to the pelvis, the glutes are pulling you downward uh, if they're too tight and the hip flexors are pulling your spine forwards. And so you have this really weird, that's the cross, I assume, Mm -hmm. in the definition. Well, yeah. And that the the patterns are crossed, right? So it's like posterior, the glutes posteriorly and the abs anteriorly. Okay. Right. And then, yeah. So they like pull against each other and then the spot in between them is sort of the connection point between your spine and your back mm-hmm. or your, your pelvis. Correct. Yeah. And, um, so this is, I mean, it works, I guess. Like it's a, it is a strategy. It is not an optimal strategy. And it, right, the, the challenge with it is it puts a lot of load on your spine and not the way that the spine was meant to be loaded. The joints weren't meant to be loaded 
at end range. And I think another way to think about this is like, so you're, you know, you jump down, a, you know, three stairs onto a flat surface and then you land with your knees locked. Your knees are not happy. That does not feel good. You absorb that force with your knees at their end range. So similar thing at your spine, you know, force, forces are different. Well, maybe not after squatting, right? If you're squatting, you have your load and you have your spinal extended. You're putting a load through your spine in a position that wasn't intended to absorb that type of a load. Yeah. And actually, um, you introduce an easy opportunity for buckling, um, because it's already, um, non, you know, not neutral. Um, but for cycling specifically, let's talk about how, um, if your spine isn't neutrally placed, I mean, these are two really important muscle groups. The glutes and the hip flexors are, um, essential to, you know, see last episode on, uh, the pedal stroke and, and movement analysis. You use both of these muscles as well, cyclists. You, you should be using both of these muscles. Okay, that's true. Uh, if you, if your spine's really extended, you may not be using your glutes. You're, you're almost certainly not using them to their full effect, mm-hmm. uh, because of the link tension relationship that's happening there. So yeah, and that's a huge, your muscle, the glutes are the biggest muscle. So that's a huge potential power loss. And, you know, it's also this power to weight equation, right? So you have the mass of your glutes that you're carrying around with you that aren't producing very much power for you. This, this sort of hurts on both ends of that equation. Yeah, it's a bit of a double whammy. And, um, you know, remember that it takes a lot of muscle mass in order to fully engage your aerobic system. And if you're not even using that muscle mass, you better have huge quads to really be maxing out um, your aerobic capacity if your goal is to have, you know, high FTP or even uh, anaerobic work, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And then so hip flexors, right? This is important for the recovery phase uh, and, and unweighting the pedal as you come back up to that 12 o'clock position. And again, this is going to make your pedal stroke inefficient if you're unable to unweight. Now the effort that's going down to push the other side, some of that's being expended to lift your leg, your, you know, your leg back up, uh, which means less power to that rear wheel. Yep. And um, so let's talk about if, like what's the opposite um if you're back like super flexed yeah say for a cyclist there are some cyclists who have a lot of lower back curvature as a way to get like they almost have um well so you're they have a vertical pelvis but then their lumbar spine is really really flexed flexed. yeah Yeah. so unrelated biomechanically but probably important here check your seat if that if you fall in that category uh, my, my hypothesis, and I've seen this enough times with fittings is in that situation, like fit on it in and of itself, generally speaking, the bike's not a crazy fit, but the seat, either the angle is slightly up, um, or, you know, like maybe it benefit from going down a degree or so from where it is, or just the rider's not comfortable on their seat and they're not, they don't want to rotate their pelvis forward because it's uncomfortable on their soft tissues there. So... They sit with their pelvis, they tuck their pelvis underneath uh, because that's a way to offload the soft tissues and make the bike comfortable and then pull itself to reach the handlebars. So now they flex their trunk a ton uh, to reach down to the handlebars. Yep. And you change, like you, sometimes it's, it's the saddle's fine and you tip it down two degrees because it was pointed up a little bit and they didn't know. And all of a sudden, like, it looks like a different person. Like, oh, you rotate your pelvis. No wonder life is better now. Yeah. And if you have that posterior tilt, you're, um, you're inhibiting the rectus femoris and um, some of the quads. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, that's really interesting. And, and even I think, didn't Lance Armstrong have a stress fracture in one of his vertebrae? 
and it was maybe linked with excessive bending at a, at one particular vertebrae and too much stiffness at other ones. And if, if you have to get, if you, if your pelvis is locked in position and your arms have to get to another locked position, um, the spine is the connecting point. You can start to, you know, maybe use your shoulders, but they get fatigued. And, um, if you don't have enough mobility in, uh, in certain parts of your spine, then you're going to excessively use other ones. And that's a great way to get, um, you know, disc issues and other kinds of spinal problems. Yeah. Your, your back will tell you, I mean, your, your, your body will tell you generally, right. If something's not in a, in a good position, you will have some pain because that's what it's there for is to let you know something's going wrong. Um, but yeah, the, the closer you can get your spine and, and joints in general towards the middle of their overall ranges of motion, generally speaking, the happier they're going to be mm-hmm. and the, and the better they're going to function. Yeah, they'll, they'll be more powerful as well. So, okay, you've convinced me core. Eh, fine, it's probably important. Um, what, uh, what do we do about it? Say, you know, I've been riding for three or four years. I don't think that I squeeze my stomach. Uh, I guess my spine's like a little curved. It seems like, you know, when I ride, like I have a little bit of lordosis. Um, what do I do? Like I heard, I heard, you know, core is important. So I think first you need some sort of an assessment and you need to have some way to objectively put yourself on a scale and say, how, how is my core, right? Like maybe your core is functioning. Okay. Maybe you've got it figured out. Maybe you do some off the bike exercises that have been addressing it and you didn't really know, or you didn't call them core exercises because you did squats and deadlifts and those things engage your core and, and that's that. And that's fantastic or what have you. Uh, and maybe you've never done a sit up in your life and you don't know what a plank is. So you, your core is actually really weak because you don't, all you do is ride your bike. We should place you somewhere on the spectrum. Okay. Uh, my recommendation is do a plank. It's very simple. Hold it. Um, you have to have, you know, you have to be honest with yourself about quality of the plank. Cause as we're talking about, if you fall into to lower doses, you can do a plank for a really long time, except that's not really a good plank. It's not really testing your core muscles. It's testing how long your back will tolerate being in lower doses. Yeah. I had, uh, core issues more as a kid and I remember <laughs> doing planks and, uh, like my shoulders were always the thing that fatigued first and it's, well, it's because your spine is in lower doses and it's fine because you're just using the bones. Yep. Um, and, you know, then if you look at where the bones sort of stop, it's up at your shoulders or, um, mm-hmm. you know, down by your pelvis. Yep. And your your, hip, your hips and thighs are bigger than your shoulders generally, right? So yeah. the, they're not going to fatigue. And so the, the important thing is the spine is neutral during a plank. And mm-hmm. um, that's something that, you know, everyone says, oh, just do planks. And um, I think that on top of that, in my experience, getting my core better engaged also... Um, making sure that you have the flexibility to have a neutral spine. Mm-hmm. Um, these weightlifters who have like really extreme lordosis, it's not just that they have a predisposition to locking out their spine. It's also that they don't really have the flexibility to even get into a mm-hmm. more neutral <clears throat> position. Yeah. So are your hip flexors mobile? Are your glutes mobile? You know, do you, can you also, I think this a simple exercise just to understand your spine a little bit is to sit, sit upright, sit near the edge of your chair, and so you like rock your pelvis back and forth and, and put your, your hand along your, your lower back and you, so you can feel the vertebrae there. And as you rock your pelvis relatively back, relatively into a posterior tilt, 
you should probably feel the vertebrae of your lower back protrude into your fingers. And so that's your, your flex lumbar spine, your lumbar kyphosis, if you will. And then if you go all the way upright and really try to exaggerate getting your pelvis into a real anterior tilt, you'll feel the vertebrae recede. Uh, they're, less, they're less palpable. And that's your lumbar lordosis there. And so it, like play with that a little bit, do five or 10 reps and go through that range. And then you'll find a point in the middle where your, your pelvis is upright and in line with gravity. You, you have a little curve in the spine, sort of the natural neutral curve. Um, and then like, so, okay, I found that you found that you can kind of feel that that's what you want when you do your plank. That's what you want when you're on your bike. And that's the neutral position where everything's in a good length tension relationship and can be powerful and efficient. Yeah, I, I think that another way to do the same activity is to just do um, hands to feet. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who have lordosis problems have like a flat spot in mm-hmm. their lower back. And um, it's the same thing as can you can you feel the, those vertebrae coming out when mm-hmm. you do a posterior tilt? If you have um, excessive tightness, you probably can't. And um, another thing that I found was that uh, my quadratus lumbarum was excessively tight, and that was part of the mobility problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can talk a little bit about what muscles connect the the pelvis. Like your core is just the connection between your pelvis and your rib cage, and um, there's there's only a little bit of bone compared to you know your rib cage. There's a lot more bone mass. Mm-hmm. Your hips. There's a lot of bone mass. Yeah, just the pelvis. Um, there, your spine is, is relatively little bone mass, but there's a lot of, I mean, there's organs, there's a lot of muscle. You, you rely on muscle to keep everything attached together. So, um, if you think about, you know, you're suggesting, um, to do like a posterior tilt movement mm-hmm. in order to see how your spine reacts. Mm-hmm. And that was an important, uh, part of my rehabilitation was moving the hips by themselves mm-hmm. and, um, well, by so, hips, you mean pelvis, right? Yeah. You mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the pelvis over the femur. Right. So, um, you know, can you keep your spine and your chest neutral and then rotate your pelvis forward mm-hmm. and can you rotate it backwards and, um, extending that, you know, the, can we move the rib cage, uh, mm-hmm. relative to the core? Can we keep the core mm-hmm. and the hips static and can we move the rib cage and what muscles control that? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, do the anterior and posterior pelvic tilt and, um, you know, go side to side, forward and back and move each relative to each other. Mm-hmm. Those are the two ends of the core. And, um, you know, what mobility do you have? And you'll probably notice if you do have tightness, excessive tightness anywhere, um, you'll notice those flexibility issues once you try and move through the whole range of motion and lean into those and loosen them up because, um, that excessive tightness may be preventing you from engaging uh, all the muscles that you want to engage. Yeah, absolutely. You got to have the ideal, well, or close to it, length tension relationship between the muscles if you can. Yep. And uh, do you have any other exercises? I have one that I found pretty beneficial. So, um, Well, I guess it depends on where you want to start. Uh, as far as let's core. start uh, I mean, pretty simple, yeah little basic like, um well just for reference um some you know the the classic core engagement for plank is just below the belly button right mm-hmm. that's your tva mm-hmm. um, transverse transverse ab- abdominus. abdominus and um basically you should feel this little squeeze um and that's you know preventing your lower spine from mm-hmm. um going into lordosis and um Honestly, I think a lot of people never feel a squeeze there. And uh, 
you know, that's probably the first step is getting that muscle to engage at all. Yep. And so there's a, there was at least a debate in the literature about whether you do this abdominal drawing in maneuver or you do sort of a an out tension maneuver. And the last, last I saw it was sort of on the, the tension kind of pushing outside that was in, in favor. Huh. Um, and so, which is this idea of if you go find the, um, ASIS, uh, on your pelvis, which is like the, the sort of pointy part on the front by your okay. hips and you, you put your fingers down there and then you, you tighten everything up. You'll feel the muscle sort of, it should actually try to push out into your fingers when you tighten up your transverse abdominis. Uh, the, the cue I always tell guys that seems to work really well is so if I was about to punch you in the gut right now, what would you do? And inevitably you tighten everything up. And usually that get that gets folks, you know, that that sort of engagement. Um, some sometimes people's like you know like copper sneeze, sort of feeling that gets people hmm. to get the right muscle engagement. Either way, it's right there. Uh, you can feel that. So I think that's baseline level. And so, then oh, go ahead. Well, one second. The that muscle, the TVA. Hmm. Um, so you know you feel it squeeze when you know imagining someone's about to punch you right in the gut. Um, that's the most common muscle that people don't engage. Is mm -hmm. that correct? And it's also a really important muscle uh, to function properly. Mm -hmm. So then, so that's the stability part. Is like, okay? I'm gonna get this going. So, like a plank should be, you should feel that squeezing, right? That that should yeah, be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I guess I guess what I was saying is, don't start with a plank and try to figure that out because okay. there's gonna be other muscles squeezing too when you're doing a plank. Lay on your back, bend your knees, feet flat on the floor. And work that out right there. Very simple, controlled position. Mm -hmm. Gravity is not in play. You don't have to counteract gravity. It's your spine is resting on the floor. And work on that until you can feel that. And then move into sitting and see if you can do it in sitting. Okay. And then say, so, okay, now you got those two things sort of worked out. And then you can move into maybe quadruped and do it in quadruped. Make sure you can work that out there. Because now gravity is in play, right? Gravity is now perpendicular to your spine in quadruped. Sure. And we're also getting closer to cycling. This is closer to the function that we're hoping to achieve. And then pick up an arm, like stabilize and pick up an arm. Great. Stabilize and pick up a leg. Great. Stabilize and pick up an opposite arm and leg and hold that. And I, like, that's, I think, a nice progression um, from the very simple. And then you, you can see probably that if you're in quadruped and you pick up an arm, an arm or you pick up a leg, not terribly far extension from getting to a plank so planks longer levers of quadruped mm -hmm. and you know repeat and you can probably push your knees backwards a little bit yep um, before before you go into plank yeah. yep and one thing i noticed with this exercise is you should be relatively untensed when all four are down mm -hmm. and then when you lift one up it i mean your goal is for it to autonomously squeeze to stabilize when you yeah. lift up and one it should or actually opposite. be anticipatory the way the, the core is supposed to work is that those muscles actually engage before you initiate the movement, right? Like the, the thought that I'm going to lift my arm or I'm going to move my leg or what I'm going to move the extremity should like pre-fire the core muscles to initiate, to initiate the stabilization, uh, then to allow you to move. So do you think you shouldn't move on to the next step until you can get it to do that anticipatory engagement? That's a lot of practice, uh, but I think you should be able to engage it and maintain the engagement. 
Um, I think that okay. the the anticipatory part is so so shortly so like so tightly wired that you'd have to have like a biofeedback mechanism to has that you may not recognize that it's um, actually happening automatically okay. uh, unless you had it like, unless you're a lab and you had the EMG all okay all well I was just thinking up. if you're really focusing on the cue of mm-hmm. um, engaging that muscle yep. and you're really focusing on that muscle actually squeezing you you might be able to notice uh, uh, yeah I mean I think you should you should feel you it. should practice you should certainly practice in that way right where you practice the pattern of engage muscle when you're doing conscious practice engage muscle move arm yeah, engage muscle, move arm, right? Release. You should, and then, yeah, you should, yeah. you should sequence that. Uh, and then that should help in train. Okay. And then um, just from there, you move on to planks. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. So, so through that progression, then you can move into, into okay. plank. And then you, you know, try and increase the time, right? Yep. Time. And if you want, you can do other rotational thing. Like side planks are good, good exercise. Um, yeah, so you can add just a different, a different stress. Okay. And so thinking about side planks, you want to prevent the spine from moving, from arching sideways. So mm-hmm. you have to squeeze the side of your, yeah, it's the, the lower obliques. side. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then. And also your glutes a little bit to keep yourself up in that position. Your glute, glute medius lifts up your hip. Yeah. So one thing that I was told for um, side planks is to, to cross your arm across your chest. The one that's not the free arm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, and then rotate the shoulder backwards mm-hmm. because we have a tendency to lean forward when mm-hmm. we do side planks. And, um, if you cross your arm and lean back, you, um, you should be able to feel the squeeze in the glute med, mm-hmm. um, which is also a really important uh, muscle for cycling. Yeah. Right. And that good stabilizing muscle. And, uh, yeah. So from being able to do planks, uh, I started doing, uh, on the GHD, mm-hmm. uh, machine, which is, um, like you put your feet in and then there's like basically like a butt pad mm-hmm. um, and the the person is horizontal to mm-hmm. the plane of the ground and, um, you know, start in the seated position with your feet locked in mm-hmm. and your front facing upwards mm-hmm. and slowly curl yourself down. Mm-hmm. And the whole time you're squeezing and engaging your lower core. Yeah. So you're, you're eccentrically loading it a little bit as you yep. and lengthening up. And then... And then um, I would snap up and try and try and have the pivot point be just above your pelvis. Mm-hmm. And so that's like the exact muscle. So you're doing eccentric loading, then a squeeze, mm-hmm. and then eccentric loading and squeezing. And um, that seems to really do a good job of isolating that muscle. And the, the whole point is um, as you're going down, keeping that spine neutral. And as you go down further and further, it, it gets harder and harder. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you're like slowly, and then just before you're about to collapse, you, you know, squeeze up. That seems to be a really good way to get the core um, to engage. And you have to really focus on using the right muscles because depending on, like we said about moving the rib cage independently, the pelvis independently, um, if you're rotating at the pelvis, then now you're using your hip flexors. Mm-hmm. If you rotate at the rib cage, you know, you're using your upper core. Uh, it's the, the whole point is to rotate at the lower spine. And because those are the muscles or those are the, the bones that we're trying to uh, prevent from going into a lordosis. Yeah. That's, that's, those are the segments we're trying to control. Yep. So I, I had a lot of um, good responses to that exercise in particular. I'm sure you can think of uh, a million different exercises. Another one that's really popular from uh, the Tom Danielson book is um, something like lifting your pelvis off the floor. Mm-hmm. You lay on your back 
you know, legs up in some way and rotate the mm-hmm. pelvis while keeping everything yeah, above. It's like a reverse sit up almost. Yeah. And, you know, the whole point of that, again, is you're rotating the lower spine and mm-hmm. um, you're engaging the muscles that, that control the lower spine. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a bajillion core exercises. And so I think there there's those things that are very specifically core exercises in their nature, like a plank or a sit up or you know, any of these things that we just discussed as this is a core exercise. And then I think there's a number of exercises out in the world that you would do and you wouldn't necessarily call it a core exercise, but very clearly demands you to have a good core. So a deadlift, I think, is a great example of that. Yeah, and actually... Uh, a squat, well, for that matter. Yeah, my experience with deadlifting was only once I started really engaging my core, did it actually activate while deadlifting. Mm-hmm. So if... If you're deadlifting and you don't feel a squeeze in your core, you're probably hyperextending your, mm-hmm. your lower back. And um, you, you you know see five minutes ago and, and start over and do these um, low-level core exercises to get that muscle to squeeze in the first place. Yeah, I think there's other nice things that you can do uh, just to introduce asymmetrical loads. So if you can imagine doing a, a step down or a lunge or something, holding a, a weight in one arm but not the other. So now you have asymmetrical torque. And so now the core has to activate. So it's sort mm-hmm. of a, a sneaky way to in, you know, integrate some core, um, yeah. or at least increase the demand of the core of the, for the core of some exercise that you may already be doing by having uh, some asymmetry there. Sure. So I interrupted you with squats. That's mm-hmm. also a good one, um, keeping the spine neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in, talk to me a little bit about these asymmetric uh, loading opportunities. So I mean, I think like lunge and then put a, a dumbbell in one arm, and now you're but the relatively speaking, it wants to, your trunk wants to lean to that side. Okay. So now your core has to work to counteract um, the tendency or that torque to want to bend to the one side. So now you're going to do a lunge anyhow, uh, but now you put the weight in one, in one side. So now you have this. And so you, you will probably find it's actually harder uh, than you, th- for the, the amount of weight. It's probably harder because now like there's more demand on the core. So now you, as opposed to, you know, equal weight in each hand, well, well fine. My core it's working, but it doesn't have to counteract a rotation because the weight is equally yep. distributed. And it's important to do single leg stuff with um, core because cycling is inherently a single leg sport. And uh, you should have, I remember seeing, um, uh, who's the the Olympic champion? Oh, gee, the road race champion. Yeah, he rides for CCC. Um, Van Avermaet. Yes. I remember seeing Van Avermaet in the tour um, they zoomed in on like a side view of him and his lats were squeezing with uh, the pedal stroke um, and they were oscillating uh, in line with the pedal stroke. And, um, you know, your lats are also part of this trunk engagement. And, um, you know, yeah, it's a single leg exercise and you, you're not just, you know, you don't just squeeze your core the whole time you're riding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're resisting forces and so you'll have an oscillation in your core as well. And so stuff like lunges or um, single leg step ups are also good. Mm-hmm. As long as, you know, keep the knee in line. Don't be too ambitious with how tall the step is, um, things like that. And I, I assume weighted, putting a weight in one hand is also mm-hmm. a good way um, to make it even harder. Things like that are a great way to asymmetrically load your core which is an attempt to simulate the asymmetric loading of cycling and life in general right yeah well what if all our grocery bags could uh, be perfect like the perfectly weighted grocery bag yeah so that you would never have to you know have any um 
asymmetric loading on your there, there that's your that's your new assignment to get core exercise <laughs> put yeah. all the heavy stuff in that bag and all the, ve- the vegetables and light stuff in that bag okay great thanks and then uh and walk to the house and then switch hands yeah. and then walk yeah, back. park park really far away yeah well there's also the joke that pro cyclists all um, make their wives carry the groceries in so <laughs> um yeah do you have anything else for core i think that it's uh it's a worthy pursuit i think a lot of people um they never use their core and they don't realize that they aren't using it. Um, well, they just don't use it effectively. They use it. Otherwise they'd be a, a let noodle, but okay. they, just, they just don't use it. They just don't use it for full effect. Sure. And I think that it's probably associated a lot with the chronic pain we see in cycling um, because you're, you just load your muscles incorrectly and um, you're not using the correct muscles to stabilize the correct part of your body. Um, throughout the pedal stroke and that's just asking for uh, overuse injuries i know a couple episodes ago i talked about yeah injuries overuse injuries and that sort of thing and um i don't know if there's research to this extent so i'm purely just hypothesizing an, an opinion but i i totally agree with you you know having having a weak core so you know if your back doesn't end up hurting you because you're using your spine to stabilize something else down the line is going to be wonky and if it's not you're fortunate um but you're certainly not getting the performance that you could so like there, there's going to be one of two consequences right either it's going to it may manifest itself in an injury or it may manifest itself in underperforming relative to your potential sure and you know if you're just a, a sportif rider and it doesn't really matter about your performance then um you know don't mess with a recipe that doesn't cause pain but um, if you're looking for optimal performance, this is the performance cycling podcast. Um, we'd recommend that you really work on engaging your core and getting but, everything. But to even if you're a, a club rider, I feel like, I mean, I don't know, I guess it depends on your goals, but at the end of the day, I think if you're saying, well, I, I want to be out here and I want to be riding, you know, this year, next year, five years from now, 10 years from now, because I enjoy the sport, it's probably worth adding a little bit of core in, into your non-bike days just to, to keep yourself healthy and, and really, uh, optimize your your riding ability and your your longevity sure so uh that's core um if you you know like our podcast uh, please share with your friends and uh, give us the thumbs up and all that jazz uh, review if you'd like yeah absolutely we totally appreciate that and uh, until next time as we always say keep the rubber side down <laughs>